Hello survivors and welcome to Medicine 4, a Parasite Eve podcast by Resident Evil fans for Resident Evil fans. This is First Aid Spray bonus episode 23 and in this episode we'll be finding our innate abilities lurking inside of our mitochondria as we look back on the PS1 gem Parasite Eve. I'm your host and joining me in New York City this week, he's been waiting and biding his time for this episode, lurking in the mitochondria of the show itself. It's Fire Button's Steve Valance. Is this where my face splits open and I grow a second head and all the other gangly gooey bits, or is it now? Nah, hi everybody. <laughs> if you like. <laughs> and created when the sentient mitochondria of a beef patty was fused with an airbrush, it's Michael Burger time early. Is it hot in here or is it just me? <laughs> The subject of this bonus episode, like all others, was voted on by our Patreon backers. Support the show now to not only help keep us afloat, but also to create new content. Select what that content is and hear it a month before everyone else. Tears begin at just $1 a month. Check out patreon.com forward slash Pod for the full breakdown. Um, quick shout out, out at the top of the show, of course, as we like to do. Um, usually with bonus episodes, we'll either have some file readings to break things up or a piece of music. We're going to talk about Parasite Eve soundtrack. Spoiler alert, it's pretty good. So we had to put some music in here. So thank you to Lily Archinega, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, for their remix of Plosive Attack that really caught our eye. Uh, so special thanks to them letting us use that in this episode. Check out their channel for the full version. And, and there's at least one more Parasite Eve remix in there and plenty of other covers and cool musical stuff. So thank you for that. Um, and also... This episode, as I just said, brought to you by our Patreon backers who voted on this. Uh, the theme of the poll was PS1 classic horror. Parasite Eve absolutely destroyed it. Not overly surprised as it's a game that uh, does have its own core audience, its own legacy. It might not be as massive as, say, a Silent Hill or a Resident Evil, but it definitely got its fans. Um, so, yeah, excited to talk about it. As a bit of a background, Parasite Eve was actually first a book, don't you know? Um, published in 1995 from uh, the novelist Hideaki Sena. Um, it actually won awards in Japan, uh, Best Horror Novel, and it was adapted into a TV film in 97, which I think is available with English subtitles. I don't think it ever got a dub, but there is an English subbed version. Um, it's actually quite revered. I was quite surprised by this, but it's very well revered in Japan as part of the J-horror boom. Uh, so what I mean by that is stuff like The Ring is obviously the big example that came overseas in a big, big way. Um, yeah. But it, obviously it's around the same time. And uh, the video game version was published by Square in 1998 um, in Japan and America. And it acts as a sequel to the book slash film. Uh, it references the book slash film. But it sets the story outside of Japan in New York City. A star-studded crew on this one. Producer Hironobu Sakaguchi, who you know probably as the sort of godfather of Final Fantasy. Uh, the director was Takashi Takito, that you might know from Live Alive, Chrono Trigger, etc. Head designer was Tetsuya Nomura, who was, you know, the big designer of Square at that period up until today, really. And uh, the music by the legendary composer Yoko Shimomura in what is described as her breakout project. Um, in terms of review scores, the game did pretty well. It's a little bit all over the place. Famitsu gave it 33 out of 40, which is pretty decent. Um, CVG, 3 out of 5. Uh, Next Generation, 3 out of 5. IGN, 7 out of 10. Uh, so, yeah, decent, decent scores, but not mind-blowing. It has a Metacritic of 81 out of 100 currently. 
Um, and in Japan, it was the sixth best-selling game of 1998 with nearly a million copies, which is pretty good indeed. Um, so let's talk about our early experiences with Parasite Eve Burger for quite obvious reasons. I'm going to start with you. What's your early memories of Parasite Eve? Uh, this is one of the one of the few games I remember actually owning on the PlayStation One. Um, I I played it quite a bit. I will for admit that I probably didn't get a lot of the subject matter as a yeah. as a wee human of, geez, twelve, thirteen maybe. Yeah. Um, at the time, uh, I I enjoyed it quite a bit. It's it's I remember beating it. I, I remember being one of the first people in my class to beat it because um, I happened to have a uh, a PlayStation in my room, so <laughs> I got to I got to spend a, a, a nice long long weekend um, losing sleep, missing out on my PBS anime. <laughs> um, to to catch up on it and to finish it out, I just I couldn't stop playing it. I I really enjoyed this game quite a bit. Um, I remember arguing with people too about some specific unlocks that you can get in the late game because you can beat the game and not be max level. Yeah. Um, you can kind of sprint through it pretty quickly. Uh, and yeah, there's a. Are we doing spoilers yet? Uh, maybe not. I don't know. I mean. I think if they're tuning in for a podcast about you know, Silent Hill, yes, indeed, uh, Parasite Eve, that they, they're on board with Twenty-five year old game. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, all right. So in any case, I remember arguing with, with kids at school about the um, the final unlock that you get the capstone ability. Yeah. Uh, which which is her? Uh, she transforms and does like ten hits of damage at like nine 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 damage each hit. Yeah. Um, and people were like, oh, no, it's not real. <laughs> was. Ah, the pre-internet uh, but, days. Yeah. Right. If you um, spin I around I three times. I the game to a friend, <laughs> liking it enough to get the sequel. Um, both sequels I played, the one on the PSP as well. Mm. Um, I don't remember much about Parasite 2, but we're not talking about Parasite 2. What, do you probably, what about y'all? Probably, why, why didn't y'all play it? Probably for another day. Yeah, so Steve, I'm going to go to you next, because you... You played this a lot earlier than I did, but obviously, as Berger alluded to there, and I just sort of alluded to in the intro, this game never came out in Europe. We got Parasite Eve 2. We didn't get Parasite Eve 1. So, uh, Steve, what's your entry point? Obviously, I guess Parasite Eve 2, but what's your history with Parasite Eve in general? Okay, so, yes, my entry point was Parasite Eve 2 because, obviously, at the time, Square was like, yeah, Parasite Eve, Europeans don't need that. The English don't need that. You know, um, but yes, we got Parasite Eve 2, and I really enjoyed it. Spoilers for whenever we get to that podcast. Um, and I wanted to learn more. And then, you know, I think I actually talked about going to Forbidden Planet to get books um, and the S.D. Perry novels. Similar story. I saw the the Parasite Eve novel. I thought, ooh, I've played the second game. Maybe the first book. It, it iterates in the first game, not knowing it was a prequel at the time. Mm. Uh, read the book. Really enjoyed it. As a Resi fan, it goes deep into like the whole science and the the twisted reversions of science they've used for how Eve operates and all that. It's a bit, I want to say, very not hard sci-fi, but a lot more nerdier than you'd think for a horror novel. Right, um, right. And then just a case of it, it sparred from there, like trying to find a way to play this game. And I was determined to not emulate it for whatever reason, because at that point I had a very anti-emulation stance. Mm-hmm. 
and it wasn't until I want to say like three or four years ago when uh, a friend on uh, my Fibre channel, Aid, pointed out, you know, you could just get an American PSN account and download the game and play it, don't you, Stephen? Uh, and then after astonished gasps and looks, basically it was a uh, bit of a free-for-all trying to find how to get a, a US uh, PSN download code for some for a digital wallet and mm-hmm. then download it and play it. So yeah, it's been a four-year, four years hence have I only just played this game that came out in 1998 because for whatever reason it's not on UK shores. Uh, yeah, had a lot of fun. Uh, I've also seen the film. That's... Uh, Ashamed to admit, I just saw it on YouTube. I, I don't know what the legal boundaries are. Someone re-uploaded the entire film with subtitles. It was okay. Yeah. Very much a TV <laughs> drama-looking thing with some uh, lengthy build-up. But yeah, mm-hmm. my, my experience with the franchise is something that I started with the sequel that is apparently divisive and just enjoyed it and went back through time the wrong way around and then recently played the first game last. And the third <laughs> birthday doesn't exist. <laughs> so I'm told, yeah. Um, oh yeah, that's that's cool. Uh, it's uh, also not cool because like, not only does the game not get a physical release, the fact that it's not on digital storefronts still over here is just absolute nonsense, really, isn't it? I don't. I'm guessing it still can't get it on PSN without an American account, which is, and who knows if you can even jump through those hoops on current consoles. But it is, is ridiculous. Um, I've yeah. got a quick question if I, if I can. Go for it. Mr. Burger. Burger, you remember the mini PS1 that was re-released recently? Like, well, year, a few yep. years ago. Parasite Eve 1 was on that, wasn't it, for you guys? I believe it was. Yeah. Actually. That was like, it would have been the perfect breakout opportunity, not on yeah. like, the, uh, the mini Good PS1 point. Starwing 2. You know? Mm. Instead, no, just not allowed it for whatever reason. Frustrating. Very frustrating. Yes. Yeah. I... My sort of, here's one for you. My introduction to Parasite Eve is also Parasite Eve 2. I've never played it, but as a Resident Evil fan of that era, seeing it in magazines and stuff, I was interested also because I was a Final Fantasy fan. So I was like Squaresoft. I know Squaresoft is one of the few companies, you know, outside of Sega and Nintendo that I could immediately point at and be like, oh, I know those guys. They do do those games I like. And now they're doing games about monsters and transformations. And I don't remember if I saw a trailer on a demo disc or, or anything like that. Or maybe I just animated it in my head. But there's a scene, I believe, early into the game where there's a woman whose face just kind of like opens up a little bit. Uh, <laughs> let's put it that way. In a traditionally gory, you know, way that you get out of Parasite E body horror stuff. Um, and I can see that in my mind's eye. And I also remember seeing um, almost like still frames of that transformation in a magazine and i was one of those kids at school that would just like cover like their folder or whatever or like books and stuff in just stuff like cuts out the cut out like video game stuff and band logos and stuff like that and i remember having that and i had some sellotape over it on a file of just a woman like transforming into a monster never played the game but i was like you know it, it fits my aesthetic as a resident evil fan so that always stood out to me but yeah i'd never played any of the games until very recently, um, obviously, if you're a long-term First Aid Spray uh, fan, you'll know that we did an episode of Now That's What I Call Survival Horror, where we talk about the music of a game on Parasite Eve, um, and I hadn't played it before that either. So I, that was kind of my proper entry point, really, is watching Steve play it a little bit on stream and listening to the soundtrack and discussing that without much context, um, and now we're actually finally getting to play the game for the first time. So I am the freshest of fresh when it comes to this. Uh, so let's get into it. Let's talk about the gameplay of Parasite Eve first. I think that's the most logical place to start. Uh, It's not quite as chunky as the story, but there's a lot going on here. Um, In terms of description of genre, 
it's a role-playing game, but it does it easily gets lumped with stuff like Resident Evil and survival horror because it has, you know, monsters and body horror in it. Yeah, it's got a very horror theme to it. Um, but it is a role-playing game, and it feels, you know, quite a bit like Chrono Trigger, which is why I mentioned yeah. that at the beginning, the director also being the director of Chrono Trigger. You can see the sort of through line to that in the way that the turn-based battles um, just kind of, instead of going into a turn-based battle where the screen will swirl and you go to somewhere else, some, you know, little uh, pocket universe to do the battle, it's it's where you're standing. But unlike Chrono Trigger, you can, like, run around and do that kind of stuff. Um, Berger, how do you feel about the battle system in Parasite Eve? I loved it. Um, it was inc- it was one of the first games I remember where, like, range was an issue. Yeah. And enemies could, like, move out of your range. Um like you could, uh, in the middle of an attack, an enemy can just like wander outside of it during its attack loop. Um, I I will I will say, seeing you play it um, recently mm-hmm. as we as we you know played through it um, in the Discord. Oh, and on, on, no, we on, played on, it on YouTube. YouTube. Yeah, it's all over on yeah. first day plays. You can watch my playthrough um, in full. So there you go. It it is interesting to see. Uh, the variety of like any actions there's there's attacks i didn't remember enemies having mm-hmm. i d- there's definitely parts of the game where i remembered oh yeah that's that's what that is and i remember like how to avoid specific uh, monsters and abilities mm-hmm. um i will say that it is a a victim of its time uh which is something i say a lot when i reference games from this era um just by virtue of the fact that games do stuff better now so it's it is kind of hard to go back and and find the same enjoyment for stuff like that i did back then um just in this case in terms of just how many random battles you ran into <laughs> see it, it felt like almost every screen i i i don't know if i agree with that personally but i can see your perspective absolutely i've had that experience with plenty of games but this wasn't overly annoying to me um i've definitely played worse but the battle, but maybe that's because I found the battle system to be really fun, and I didn't ever tire of it. It's not an overly long game as well. Um, no. But the the battle engagements and like you say, the the fact that you have to consider range and you've got to move into range and in and out of range depending on the weapons that you're using and what you're fighting and that kind of stuff. And there's enough variety to the enemies and how they work. And some of them have sort of multiple targets on them, like multiple heads or a tail and that kind of thing. And the boss fights are all fun. That really kept my attention for the whole game. Yeah, um, it's simple and effective. I think is uh, there are definitely systems that we want to talk about that do feel dated and clunky and whatever. Um, but in terms of the the beautiful simplicity and having a soft spot for turn based kind of stuff, uh, yeah, this really really landed with me personally. Steve, how do you feel about the battle system? Uh, it definitely feels like it's got a learning curve. I think first time out, if you've mm. only played a Resident Evil game, you're like, what the hell is this dome? I don't understand why anything's <laughs> working, why I'm not hitting anything. Yeah. Uh, but once you finally click with it and realize that it's basically you have to dodge your shots while your meter builds up and then figure out your opening to strike with your weapon at the optimal range, it's actually rather engaging, more complex than, say, Resident Evil 1, 2, or 3 were. Well, 3 with Nemesis maybe had the whole dodge mechanic and stuff, but definitely 1 and 2. Of Resident mm. Evil, in comparison, um, yeah, no, the I think Berger hit it on the head though with the, the sheer variety of enemies and they all have their own unique pa- patterns of movement and what they mm. can do uh, is good. The boss fights themselves are like they vary in quality, but a lot of them have their own unique attacks and things where a player has to actually think. You can't just stand in place, or if you are going to stand in place, you need to measure what 
buffs you're going to use with Aya's parasite skills and it's not just a case of finding the right opening to shoot in that regard you might have to find the right time to charge up your super move your liberate yeah. or your haste or your heal uh, so yeah it's it's remarkable in that regard that it's functional and not a uh, stress i mean once you get over the initial hurdle of learning how to play anyway mm. there's um i find with a lot of turn-based games in general you're usually handling you know parties of characters that all have their own functions that you have access to all these things and you can do them or as you say with aya you you're just playing as her so you need to measure out what is the best strategy here do you need to attack now do you need to heal is it best to fall back and use haste and then come back in or you know so that juggles really really cool uh yeah i agree all around super engaging stuff absolutely um i think the odd thing for an rpg though is like her parasite skills it's not like in parasite eve 2 spoilers for parasite eve 2 her moves are measured by mp whereas in this her energy has to build up naturally in the battle and it doesn't reset after a fight. So you can't even... Say you really badly want to use like your haste skill or you need to heal, but you have no parasite energy. You may actually have to invest time just dodging before you can even engage in those skills, which <laughs> yeah. are a signature part of the game. Well, you did have you did have uh, stuff you could do to increase your, your, parasite, your parasite energy um, generation. Yeah. Um, if, we're, if we're talking about the game mechanics, sure. in that regard, you had your bonus points that you could get... Um, well, yeah, which but again on your armor, yeah, yeah. the PE stat. Um, yeah, but that wouldn't affect like if you're you, say you've been in a big fight and you've used it all and you finished the fight, you would then start the next fight with none. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But where where you were at when you ended the last one, yeah, mm. Siren did that one quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she did. Um, <laughs> but that's part of the juggle that I find. Um, yeah, because so then it makes because it's only Aya and you've got PE to spend on whatever you want to use to attack or to heal or to whatever it also makes items more valuable i find with a lot of role-playing games i'm one of those people that just winds up with stacks of potions in the game that i just never use and i will just sort of rely on magic and stuff and that kind of thing whereas this for me largely in terms of these elements that we've spoken about at least i thought the balance was really good to keep me thinking to keep me engaged in different ways to approach to try to try different approaches or at least consider the fact that uh, you know multiple things were viable um, I don't necessarily think that's true of all things across the board. I would say that what's interesting is the game has load, like loads of weapons, like but they all, and I think the point is there are so many because they're like slight different variations. They're slightly better machine gun, slightly better uh, machine gun, slightly better uh, 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 machine gun. There's loads of them. The only thing is they all kind of feel same. <laughs> that's the only problem. Yeah. Usually it's like find one you like and then kind of stay there and then. Uh, feed it other guns to make it better um which is fine but to i would have like i would have found it more interesting to play with like the idea of shotguns and grenade launchers a bit more if they all felt just a little bit more different and they all had a little bit more utility to them whereas i was just like you know what this is my gun there's many like it but this is the one that i'm going to use all the time uh burger how do you feel about the weapon system i thought it was fine um <laughs> yeah it's it's very much like you said. You find a weapon that you like, and then you just feed other guns into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe when I played it, I had a couple. Um, I had a, I had the TMP that you ended up picking up and using for a bulk of the game, mm-hmm. which uh, was good because of its volume, right? Yeah. 
Um, and I, I remember applying a specific element to it, and then I had a second gun that had a different element. On yeah, that's fair. That makes um, sense. That was like a shotgun. Uh, and then the, the club. The club which you equipped when you wanted to do magic. Mm. When you wanted to be a, a New York wizard. <laughs> a blood wizard. <laughs> yeah, blood wizard. It's crazy how, if you look into the weeds of it, how in-depth the weapon modification system is, but it doesn't feel yeah. like it's explained mm. all that thoroughly. Like, yeah. you can take a handgun and then take the burst fire of a shotgun and slap it on, so you can now hit multiple targets in a spread. You can then take the acid damage of a grenade launcher and, again, add that to a handgun, all the while, like, plus one all of your damage. And eventually you can have something that outpaces the entire game if you just invest that heavily in one weapon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's surprising. The only other game I can think of which is, like, gun-focused that does that is, like, something like Resonance of Fate. But even then, that's like putting 42 scopes and 52 magazines on a handgun as opposed to just cannibalizing it for parts. I'm not sure how you take a Beretta and add a shotgun blast to it, Aya, but good on you. <laughs> yeah, she's very skilled. You just saw yeah. off the end. Yeah, weapon mechanic. <laughs> I guess so. There were some weird things about it as well, and I largely agree, like, this is the big falling point for the gameplay for me, is how it doesn't feel particularly user-friendly in terms of the way that it explains its systems. Um, which is interesting because the Square game that comes after this is Final Fantasy VIII, which to me, I just remember there being like long tutorials on how to use the junction system and stuff. Um, so that's interesting. But yeah, I just don't feel like it was very well explained at all. So like, if I remember, as you just said there, feeding it parts and stuff, I'm going to give this this kind of burst fire and stuff. And there was like, you can, I want to fire this many shots as part of an attack, but what you're actually doing there is reducing the overall power of every shot. You just got more of them. Which I suppose is absolutely a way to go for like yeah. crowd control when you've got multiple enemies and you can pick, you know, when it's your turn and you choose to attack, you're like, oh, I've got like six shots. I can pick every one of these enemies and take two shots each or whatever, which is cool. But like, it's much of the same, you know, half of a dozen, six of another to me when it comes to that kind of stuff. But in terms of like, yeah, using the tool, the weapon tools and stuff like that felt kind of obtuse and very confusing and almost like there were parts where I was I had to do it and I was booting the game up like because I was playing it for a few hours every weekend or whatever I was like <laughs> I don't want to do this because I've forgotten again like what way I'm into what direction to, to look at this weapons go yeah no, how to make weapons resource. go like yeah uh, I will say I I was I'm wondering um given given Japan Japanese developers like penchant for iterating on systems mm. um i wonder if part of the reason that the tutorial systems in final fantasy 8 and and also by extension final fantasy 9 for that matter um were as robust as they were as a direct result of how unuser friendly this was because makes you wonder I mean, yeah for sure remind remembering i th- i think you were on your second stream or maybe even the third one before Steve and I were like, well, why aren't you spending your BP? Yeah. Didn't even know that was a thing. Game never told me that was a thing. And if it did, it did a very bad job of telling me it was a thing. And that's um, just an entire extra system on top of all the other systems, isn't it? You've leveled up. Here you can mess around with some stats for free. Uh, yeah. Thanks for not telling us, game. Uh, that's that's helpful. I think there is a tutorial panel on the main menu, which you can easily skip, and then you are just completely smegged. Like, at yeah. least in Final what? Fantasy VII, you had like a whole tutorial room in like Sector Seven or whatever. Yeah, just go. Yeah, if yeah. you've brought this material clad, look lightning. Oof. Um, a yeah, little bit easier. Well, that's also the standard in a lot of Final Fantasy games because I'm pretty sure there's a similar room like that in Final Fantasy VI and Narsh. 
Fair play. I haven't played mm. six. I'll take your yeah, word for it. Yeah, I think it. so. The be fair though, the BP thing and the bonus points where you can like, oh, I'm going to make my turn come around quicker, or you can just spend it on a gun as well, or increase your inventory room. Um, I think that's really cool. Uh, that's one of those examples. And this is just kind of by circumstance that it doesn't tell you. But it means that when you discover it, the game is actually deeper than it first seems. And, and it's with the BP, I don't think it's necessarily important to take advantage of that. It makes the game certainly easier. And probably if you're playing New Game Plus and stuff, you probably do want that. Um, but on your first playthrough, you probably could miss something like that and just kind of get on fine. It's there if you want to dig into it. But I don't think... With a lot of these things, at the very least, one of my criticisms are that it's not very well explained. There is a lot of potential for you to just kind of fool around and figure it out and figure out what works for you, I guess. So if mm. I'm looking at it in a positive light, um, there is absolutely room to get things wrong and then go, oh, okay, I'm going to do this next time and I'm, now I have a super gun. <laughs> I mean, that's true because, I mean, it gives the player a lot of choice. There's like a lot of stats you can affect and I suppose it's not it's not like immersive sim level but you can definitely no. tailor your Aya how you want with it. At least, yeah. you know, you can give her a load of item space, you can make her move faster, you can make a gun that just rail guns things instantly or whatever. You know, it's really good in that regard. Mm. With the rate that they give you new weapons, if you kind of feel like you've messed up your weapon... It's very easy to start again on a new one. Like, oh, I'm just going to feed this bad one to the to, to the this one. one, and I'll just take the things that I do want and things that I don't want can go in the bin, and we move, we start again. Like, that's really cool as a concept for sure. Um, Berger, any more thoughts on gameplay in general? Um, thinking through it, uh, I do think that the um, navigation, mm. navigating through the world, uh, and again, this is mostly recent because I watched you play the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but navigating through the game is kind of a nightmare sometimes. Um, yeah. Sometimes exits aren't clear. Um, something I learned really recently through your playthrough, um, I think you're the one who told me, was that this game runs in the same engine as Final Fantasy VII, uh, which makes sense if you look at it. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and one of the things I think is lacking that they, that was in seven and wasn't in this one was in seven. you could bring up... Um, hit, the select button and it brought up little arrows a it showed you where your character was the the zones are bigger but uh Mm. uh it at least put a little arrow on the area where you would go to leave the area yes and and i think adding that back to this one would really improve the general playability of it um outside of that though the game slaps like still (laughs) like you know i know i've I've spent a bit of time complaining no yeah totally um, um, it's still it still slaps. It's still good. For sure. I mean, if, if we're talking gameplay bugbears, can I just uh, can go I just for throw one out there? Yeah, there's, I think I know what you're about to one. say. Yeah. Only one major one for Steve, and it's the interactables are too finicky. Like we're talking mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. if you could like interact with an entire shelf in Resident Evil, Aya needs to find the exact small one pixel line, like it's a broken sword or something, to interact with it. Yeah. Sometimes that can just slot, you know, stop gameplay dead. I, mean, like, I know I need to check the shelf. I keep looking at the shelf. I keep looking at the shelf and I'm not doing anything. And then you just find that one magic pixel and then she opens the, that drawer or whatever and finds a key. Yes. That, I, like, it's the only game I know of, of this like fixed camera angle perspective where they've made it so precise to its detriment that it actually is a point of frustration. To so the point mm-hmm. where I'm mentioning it on a podcast, God knows how many years after its release, it's that bad. <laughs> no, I agree. Um, when you say that, and you might even be referring to the same room that comes to mind for me, there's a room when you get to the Central Park area of the game 
where you <laughs> need to find a key. And I'm sure many people did the same thing I did, where I did a big loop of Central Park being like, I don't know where I'm going next. Oh, it was in this room right at the beginning all along. I didn't move something out of the way because I interacted it with it, you know, from the wrong corner. You're right, you need to yeah. go around the other bit. And just, so, yes, finicky is absolutely the word. I agree with both I of mean, what you guys have said, really. It just happens all the time. Like the final sequence of the game, if you don't interact with that one pixel um, and uh, use the console, the final thing will instigate you. you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just what happened to me. Um, yeah, the other thing, and Berger, to your point, um, with the navigation and stuff... Uh, some, particularly the museum near the end of the game is kind of maddening. You can, like in terms of what you said about too many random battles, that might have been where it started to bog down. Certainly, but that is also because I kept getting a little bit lost. Like it was ve- very not clear and kind of a slog that last little dungeon, if you want to call it that. Um, but otherwise, you know, it wasn't too bad for me. But yeah, both of you guys are absolutely, you know, I can see your point of view. Uh, okay, cool. Um, if we're done with gameplay, let's move into story. Um, so, as a slight setup, I'll at least give uh, the story starts with Aya Brea, who's a New York uh, Police Department rookie attending a opera night um, when everyone suddenly combusts, which is quite a dramatic way to start a game. Um, with the exception of uh, Aya and the singer on stage, Melissa Pierce, um, there's a bit of a showdown between the two. Um, and there's a discovery that Melissa has gone through some stuff and, oh no, now she's a monster, is basically the extremely short version. And then we kind of roll from there. Uh, the story is probably the most interesting thing to talk about, I guess, because it is... You said, it, Steve, you wouldn't necessarily call it hard sci-fi, and I don't think i go that far either, but it is. It loves its scientific, you know... <laughs> There's like whole Word scenes. Dumping. You, yeah. you get a full lecture on what a mitochondria is and does. Probably um, more than once, either. Like, because I love some pseudoscience, obviously. Hello, Ghostbusters fan. But this, <laughs> I find what they do a little bit honourable, but it loses me a few times. So, Steve, I'm going to pass to you. If you want to talk about the story first, maybe explain it in a bit more detail. Uh, but there were points where I just thought it went a bit too far, and I've read the plot the game back before in preparation for this and I do understand it but at the time it was just like there's so much at times I was just like I don't know what I'm, what's going on anymore I mean how far into the weeds do you want me to go <laughs> um, right so the, the basic thrust of the story is that Melissa, Melissa, <laughs> Melissa, Pierce, <laughs> Melissa Pierce's body has been taken over by cells in her liver and then overridden her entire body to then want to birth a new stage of evolution and basically usurp the human race uh, Aya's body has similar cells which are now basically opposed to and are helping her assist in stopping her. Although she doesn't quite realise the ins and outs of the, the cellular level herself. She's just like, oh, I'm going to just keep hunting her down. I can walk through these impossible fire barriers and shoot yeah. monsters. Uh, oh, what's happening to me? And, you know, oh, I've got a Super Saiyan form now. Neat. Uh, <laughs> not quite that, but yeah. All the while, Eve's like melting people and trying to get herself impregnated with evil sperm that's... Uh, got no uh, cells in it to muck with her own plans because that's part of what happened in the novel because uh, she's like not the same villain but a knows of the original villain's intent and wants to do her own version of the plan right uh, okay. th- there's also like uh, to go even further into the weeds there's an ex game mode which basically references that entire sequence in its own way 
uh, of the of the novel and the film right. uh, with that secret final boss. But yeah, it basically boils down to cells in one person want to destroy the world, and cells in another person are thinking that's a bit wrong, mate. There's also <laughs> an evil scientist named Hans Clamp with the most subtle villain name ever. <laughs> and some really cute side characters like Daniel Dollis and uh, Kunihiko Maida, yeah. uh, who references the first, like the first novel and whatnot. Or at least he's not a member of that cast, but he is someone who knows what happened. Right. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, you've definitely touched the important points there, and there are loads of things that I want to dig in specifically. I did also, in, uh, on top of reading the synopsis for the game before we recorded this, to remind myself, I did go and read the synopsis for the book and the film just so I had the full context. Um, and it is, you know, as a story, I really like the idea, certainly. Um, but when it came to the game, while I felt like I was like, you know, I've got the general gist of what's going on, I did feel like it was a bit needlessly complex at times. Like, there are there are parts of it you probably could have cut around and made it a little bit less obtuse. Uh, there's I think a-, a lot of asking of Squaresoft at the time. Yeah, I guess that's uh, fair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, For, if it was a longer you- game, I guess, and when you think of Squaresoft and big RPGs, it might work so much. Maybe they just tried to squeeze too much into its runtime. Um, when you into- boil it down to being... The thrust of it is one child's liver and eye went in two different people and they're having an argument. <laughs> it's a little bit easier than, you know, all the other right. stuff. <laughs> yeah, but then you get all the background to that, like the connection to the Japanese case, which is important. But you probably could have just put it in basics and then the people who read the book go, oh, I get what he's referencing. Like all that chat about that, which now makes sense to me because I've gone back and uh, read what the novel was about. But at the time I was like, this is a lot of juxtaposition. And also there's the whole thing with Ira and her sister and I was like, that's quite a lot and also doesn't complete until you play the full game, but that's a whole other point. Um, Berger, how do you feel about the story? Um, I think uh, I think it makes about as much sense as Resident Evil 2. <laughs> Maybe it does, but I don't know. It's the way that it's told. I don't know. Um, no, I, I, I just have to. I just have to. I just talk about how much I hate yeah. Heel moment. Yeah, I have that heel moment. Uh, I'm kidding, obviously. Uh, I will say, it was. It, I definitely didn't get it as a kid. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm not surprised. I would have been exactly the same. I, I didn't get it as a 36 year old human <laughs> playing through it with somebody else. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the time, I, I, I'm sitting here thinking about you know what might have been the design process or like why they felt the need to include all of this um thinking maybe there's an understanding that when you're when you're developing towards a target audience um in this case people who have read the book and played the game being a japanese developers developing games for japanese people sure um there's like a level of inherent knowledge where you know a japanese person be like oh i you know i remember that from the book Mm -hmm. and they're excited um when you when you port a game over to internationally an international release that didn't have access to the book or the movie at the time, it's a lot. And then I could see the benefit to including it because you know you need the word dump in order for the people to understand what's happening in the moment of at least why the pseudoscience is is working the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately speaking, I'll, I'll agree with you. This the the whole back plot with her sister and the child in the um you know because at the time you don't know it's her you don't know she's flashing back mm. um and it's not and because isn't there a moment where she actually sees her past self in the present as well yeah in the hospital that was that's confusing um i'm wondering how much of this might have been fixed with voice acting 
Like if there was intonation happening and, and because they, they do a good job of, of forwarding the action with music. Excuse right. me. <clears throat> but um, when the text comes up, it's silent. Uh, I want to, I want to talk about another, just, side mention a game series that I know all three of us have played, but the Yakuza series, when your exposition dumps are happening, the text crawl has a sound, and it changes in in like tone, depending on which of the character on the screen is talking at the time. Right. Uh, and I think something like that, just to just to ground you as, as the text is passing by, would have helped a lot. Just as a, oh, a, a different click or something when you click the button to indicate like passing of text, because you're reading a lot of text, it's, and it's... Mm-hmm just appearing on the bottom quarter of the screen the whole time um and the only way that you know somebody else is talking is by by their name that pops up the first time right um like it's a just a script that's loaded in and they're just reading like it's just loading the script that was yeah. added and not really um stuff like that i think could have helped but I, understanding that this was 19 you know 98 1989 when this game was put together i, I get that it's not uh Completely serviceable. Uh, I, I I liked the thing a lot. Um, no stranger to anybody on this podcast, <laughs> and um, the body horror elements and how they were implemented. The the scene in in Central Park where you know people you know go into a mass. Uh, the whole giant Ghostbusters reference where that mass comes out of the sewer <laughs> um, is all wonderful. Uh, I, it is it is. I've made no secret of the fact that I like Resident Evil Three um, because it's like a big dumb action movie, uh, and this is also like a big dumb action movie with horror elements. It's it's definitely my jam. Um, I, I I this is a game where I I wouldn't mind seeing a remake of. Yeah, that's definitely a point I want to get to close to the end for sure. But um, you know what? Like I've got loads of things to nitpick with the story. Um, but you know, as it goes, the actual events that you you get to play out and stuff are absolutely interesting and really well put together and just mm-hmm. fun. Like as you say, from an action perspective and the gameplay and stuff, it's really cool. It keeps moving along when it when it isn't you know going <laughs> reading you a script as you quite rightfully said, dumping a script on screen for you to read. Um, it moves along at a good pace. Otherwise, outside of that, my only issue is that the stuff with Ira and her sister doesn't resolve until you play the game through a second time or, or whatever you have to do, load the save back up to get it. Uh, which is, I guess, you know, I don't mind incentive to play New Game Plus, especially in the 90s where you didn't have too many video games usually. Like, people weren't buying games on discount all the time. It was like, I'm going to buy this game and this is going to last me. But to leave the story sort of feeling unfinished without it Without, you know, you need to play a new game pass for it all to make sense. I'm not massively keen on that. But, you know, otherwise, whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll be, I'll, I'm fine. The only thing that other than nitpick is that all the science stuff is really good. But the massive plot hole of the fact that Melissa burns a, you know, a building full of people alive and then goes missing. Um, and then the next day she's due to have a show on Christmas Day and they don't cancel it and she turns up and just blobs a bunch of people and like surely Melissa Pierce miss, she's suddenly gone missing after it, loads of people set fire they cancel that event on Christmas Day in Central Park nope they <laughs> let it go ahead and so the story continues that's a little bit nonsensical but sure whatever
Steve, you said the characters. The characters are great. Yeah. Aya's uh, really, really cool. Uh, especially, she reminds me of, like, she's both Jill Valentine kind of kick-ass, but also, to keep it really, you know, specific to Square, she really reminds me of Terra from Final Fantasy VI because she has this constant questioning of, why is this happening to me? Which makes you feel for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she doesn't become, like, whiny about her or anything. She kind of just gets on with her job and stuff. But it does make you feel a bit sorry for her. Like, she's just a person living out her life, and then suddenly she's in the middle of this, you know, supernatural nightmare. But, yeah, Steve, go ahead. You mentioned characters, so uh, feel free to dig in a little more. I think that's some of the uh, the best parts for it, really. Like, yeah. if you see a buddy cop dynamic like Aya and Daniel, and you expect them to be really, really ornery one another, you know, one's the seasoned veteran, one's the rookie detective, but they just get on like a house on fire, and they're, like, clearly, like, implied to be very good buddies throughout of it. Like the first time we're introduced to her partner is literally him pointing out a reporter who's harassing her just after yeah. a big boss fight, which is just mm-hmm. a hell of an introduction. You know, Barry and his magnum shooting a zombie. Nah, you know, Daniel Dollis haymaker all the way. <laughs> uh, you know, and then you have uh, Maeda, who you know, Japanese scientist, come to see what's going on, try and solve the issue and help out. First thing he does is encounter some racist cops who get themselves set on fire. Just panically runs. Uh, it's mostly implied off-screen, but he also saves Maya after she's been through a ma- sorry Aya after a massive like boss fight crash with a carriage, uh, mm. and then calls Daniel for backup again. Pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, we have the police chief who's like, "Can we not like get all this news out straight away?" And cause a panic, and Aya flubs it and pretty much lets the entire story slip, causing a massive evacuation of Manhattan. Doesn't do the "Give me your gun, give me your badge." He's actually like, "Oh, okay, let's figure this out then." Like you know. More interesting characters than the usual stereotypes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Aya herself, I feel, is more expressive in the sequel, but in this one, she's like, like Sai says, Jill Valentine, but with a bit more of a uh, a wanting to figure out why why is this happening to me, but still rising to the occasion. Uh, Eve, surprisingly intimidating for me. Like whenever she's around, you know something awful is about to go down, and she is very sure of herself. Even like the, her very last like moment eye to eye with Aya is still terrifying as she's dying, which mm. is giving you like a smug death glare. Like she already knows she's quote unquote one. Um, it's much more different than just the world will burn in an inferno of hate. You know, it's <laughs> it's actual villain motivation. They know what they're doing. It's cool. Yeah, she has like. A lot of villains will fade into the background and find about their plot later, but like as a villain, I feel like she's very central. She has a lot of agency, obviously, because she is driving the story forward, but you get to kind of be a part of that every time because you keep encountering her multiple times throughout the story, which ties the two characters together even further, as you said, because they're kind of at war with each other, a sort of opposite end of the spectrum sort of situation. You're very right about other characters not overly being tropey. I mean, Daniel Dollis maybe a little bit being the sort of like black hop family man thing feels like it's been done a few times before but it's still endearing enough and what actually happens to him throughout the course of the game and his son and stuff uh is unique and interesting and engaging and my aid is a weird one because it feels like he has the potential to fall into be kind of an annoying character uh potentially but he's not like even though he gives you a bunch of just like duff items that don't do anything that take up your inventory which is kind of stupid and annoying you kind of love him anyway because of all the things you just said, Steve. Like, he's an active participant. He actually kind of... He's the connection to all the rest of it that explains to the characters and the player a little bit about more what's going on and then engages with it. He doesn't sink into the background as the tech nerd that they have to go and see. He's kind of out and about and part of it and shows up and does stuff. 
I say I do love the, the almost Chekhov's gun of he keeps giving you basically origami figures which are completely useless and just take up your inventory. Yeah. Mm. And then he's, he's trying to give you a pivotal, like, crucial <laughs> save the game information and a weapon at the end. And he's basically, no, nah, guys, he keeps giving a jump. Get on with it. Just let's <laughs> yeah. get moving to the detriment. And it's like, it's a great payoff. Yeah, uh, no, totally. The good scientist it, versus you... the, cheese, the cliche one. He gives you a gun that's absolutely sh- that's it he got he should have given you the ammo at the same time but it's fine we got there in the end um no totally like i love stuff like that where like that ties together the story and the gameplay as well because you've actually been given these items that you have to go put in a box in the uh you know in the police department in the precinct (laughs) you're like get get out of here and then by the end yeah you can't really help but laugh when everyone's like no you shouldn't give her more junk and it turns out to be yeah, the thing that turns that terrible gun into something worthwhile. Berger, any more thoughts on characters? Um, y'all said it already. Uh, I like the characters in this game a lot. I like it a lot now, even more playing it as an adult. Mm. Um, yeah. Because, again, I, I understand. I have perspective on life that I didn't have as, again, as a good, you know, 12, mm. 13-year-old tiny human. Um, I think for the time, if we think back to, again, this game was not released at a time when... Um, video game depth and stories was was, it was still emerging as as a storytelling medium um at least for these adult themes i i think the fact that daniel had his son and his his marriage had fallen apart i i think that's actually quite interesting like mm-hmm. i understand that in the context of media mm-hmm. it's an old trope that that we've dealt with a lot i think there's a lot of uh murder talk from lethal weapon in daniel's yes obviously uh, yeah that's, that's yeah um Murtaugh is Danny Glover, right? Yeah, I don't want to so. get them mixed up. That'd be really embarrassing. Oh, jeez, I don't know, but yeah. Yes, Danny Glover's yes. character in Lethal Weapon. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Danny, Danny Glover's character from Lethal Weapon. Uh, and in addition to that, like like Steve mentioned earlier, I think it's really fascinating that the cops are all competent, um, and even some of the side characters, like. You know, it's not go talk to the officer in the kennel. It's like go talk to what was her name, Karen. Right. Whatever, go talk to this specific person who does weapons. Warren this specific and, person, yeah, yeah. Um, and they yeah. each have their own thing. There's They're even all... a little story with some of the little cops as well, because some of them get taken out along the way, and somebody has to kind of step up into that role, which is really unique as far as NPCs go. Um, which is a lot to have happen in, in, in a video game for the time. Mm. Uh, so I want to give I want to give that credit where it's due. Yes, they're cliche tropes. I don't think that that it really happened a lot in video games. Uh, Aya, I will, I will say, I like Aya a lot. She does her best to keep it together. Um, very clearly, a victim of trauma, um, and is just trying to make it through the end of the week. In this case, mm. uh, I, I enjoyed my aid a lot as well. He's genuine and earnest. He, he genuinely just wants to help fix the problem. Um, Hans Klump is a cartoon character, which I think is the point. Oh, <laughs> Professor Hojo's intern. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Hojo's intern. <laughs> Um, I want to go ahead and throw a shout out to the voice actor who who did his performance in the um, <laughs> in the first days play live plays for that. I think they did an excellent job. Um, <laughs> thinking about Eve, I think her digression from the beginning of the game to the mid of the game to the end of the game uh, of where you see Melissa finally stop being Melissa mm. um, and stop poking out uh, is interesting. That happens after Central Park when when she you know gains her super big crazy form. Um, and then, uh, geez, what, what else can be said? I, I think, yeah, the, the, the cops are competent. That's one of my favorite things, um, 
to see in a video game. It's one of the reasons I like Control is the NPCs are all just doing their jobs, and that's that's articulated well in this game. Like the cops lock down New York, they're trying to do their best to keep order. They maintain the evacuation. Um, yeah, no, they're they're professionals, and and I think that that shows as well. Hmm. Okay, cool. Let's talk about the way the game looked. Because we say it's a 25-year-old game now. Uh, so obviously you've got to talk about it in the harsh light of day, but also the context at the time, however we want to approach it individually, um, for sure. Uh, the beginning of the show, I may mention specifically that uh, the game takes place in New York City. It was originally actually designed to take place in Tokyo. Obviously the book is set in Japan as a Japanese piece of media. But they decided to take the sequel and drop it in New York after the first six months or so of development. And I do have to wonder if this was um, reusing some of the original ideas from Final Fantasy VII, perhaps. Because also, that is a game that was originally set somehow in New York City before they devised Midgar, which is really interesting to me. Um, But obviously... This game, if you've played Final Fantasy VII, and I found Final Fantasy VIII even more so, uh, you will get yeah, lots of nostalgic feels in this game because as it's using that engine and using that art style, uh, very much reminds me of that era, which I absolutely liked because, yeah, as much as I try not to be a victim to the pull of nostalgia, uh, I do love that era of Final Fantasy, absolutely. Um I think it says a lot about the directing of the cutscenes and stuff like that, and the otherwise sort of grounded parts of the game, really, like the locations and stuff, feeling very real and being based on real locations, and for the most part, actually kind of looking like what they're supposed to, or at least what you would imagine they look like. Uh, but the nuts cutscenes that happen in this game still hit hard. Like everything's grounded enough that when people melt into an orange blob. It's, it's really disgusting, even for a 25-year-old game with PS1 graphics. And the fact that, you know, that opening cutscene where everyone burns and the opera music playing is, is actually genuinely unsettling, so well done. Or after, even after all this time, you're like, yeah, I'm uncomfortable already, so good job, Square, on that. Like, largely, I got no complaints, really, considering uh, where it was at the time. And I think, you know, you have to take everything with the full context of where it was when you look back on it. It's aged no worse than any game uh, from that era. It's certainly aged a lot better than many of them, in fact. Uh, Steve, how do you feel about the visuals for Parasite Eve? I'm pretty much on the same page, I think. I I especially love how, like, in-game, not necessarily how Aya animates, but the monsters are Mm. fantastic, especially for, like, 1997, 1998. In a a playable moving space, it's not a turn-based battlefield, like, where it's in a line, especially. Yeah, uh, yeah, that that stuff's great. Like I, I could see you can take those kind of animations and movements, maybe speed them up a little, and they'd work in a modern action game. That level of like you know fluidity to them. Ah, yeah, she's a bit tanky. Like you know, she she moves like a Resident Evil character fundamentally does, except when she transforms into her final super move, or she mm-hmm. does like a Dragon Ball Z pose when she heals herself. You know, nothing, nothing too untoward. The CGI right. though, like the the actual look and aesthetic of it, I think is fantastic. You know, even now I like. Everything looks. It's, obviously, it's not well, not quite super mega Pixar level or anything, but it all works. It's all believable, and like when they do the body horror transformation or even the inner cell stuff, it's all engaging and grotesque, and detailed enough that, yeah. like, for example, when you see a beloved police dog transform into a three-headed abomination, you're like wincing. You know, mm-hmm. when you see a fighter jet pilot liquidate inside of his jet, and the jet then crashes and explodes into oh, his yeah. body, it's like incredible stuff 
Like, that's way more cool than, you know, trying to drain that one thing in Remake that still looks like an FMV cam gone wrong. <laughs> uh, you know the one where you have to get the crank and spin it. No, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. totally. Those scenes really do stick out. I don't know why, how exactly and why they pulled it, you know, or rather, I guess, how they pulled it off. But it does, it still hits. Something like, something timeless about it almost in the same way that, and obviously the dog thing that you just referenced is a big old The Thing reference. Um, but, you know, you go back and watch that 40-year-old film and there's a lot of it that still hits home. It's a similar thing and I don't, I don't know how they pulled it off, but it still looks it's- great. Yeah, it's squares like punching at least at Final Fantasy 7 to 8 grade. I would say 8 probably beats it, but it right. looks that level of detail. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, you know Considering that it's developed between the two of them, it actually does perfectly represent kind of a midpoint, because you're right, I don't think it's yeah. as good looking as 8's cutscenes, certainly, in FMVs. Those were incredible and still are. Um, but yeah, it's a big jump from Final Fantasy 7 for me. Burger, how do you feel 100%. about the way the game looks? I love it. Um, I talking about when this game came out and what other games came out around this time uh it's a vast visual improvement over final fantasy 7 um and i think the comparison as like a stepping stone between 7 and 8 is valid 100 percent um the game still looks good i i remember uh the scene that the scene that sticks out to me isn't the dog one that everybody talks about it's it's the rat one Yeah, yeah yeah um and that one Geez, it's so cool that like even again, almost you know twenty five years later, it's ugh, yeah, ugh. when we you, know, you still get the I was playing the Willies. James, well, I put this clip out on social media because just of how impactful it is that me and James were sitting in the stream while I was playing it. We both were like, oh god, when it happened, and it's a twenty five year old cutscene, but it still goes like, oh, it's icky. <laughs> um, like like y'all said, there's there's cutscenes of this one of you know fighter jets going through the streets of New York, um, which is awesome. The the uh, explosions are great. Seeing the giant thing come out uh, around the Statue of Liberty, yeah. seeing the Statue of Liberty crying ooze is fun. <laughs> um, the monster design in this game, I think, is is top notch because they you could see where they're all kind of at least grounded in the spaces that you find them. Like when you're in the sewer, you find up frogs and bats, um, lizard things, weird cat things. Um, just kind of like seeing where the mito where Eve could have reached out into whatever detritus of um, right existence is around and infect. The, the latent mitochondria inside of stuff to cause it to mutate and, and uh, to, if not serve her aims directly, at the very least, uh, shield her actions from direct reprisal. Um, yeah. I, I will say that like, seeing it now, um, giving it the context of stuff, you do see that some of the, sometimes the larger enemies kind of just like float about. <laughs> like, you could see, like, as the game, like, processes their movement, the the actual engine doesn't, like, spin them fast enough, or their wings don't flap fast enough for the flying units. Um, and they kind of just do look like they're kind of just floating around on, on the yeah, surface, the... just repositioning. Uh, but I'm not mad about it. Uh, I, think, I think this was a fantastic example of what the PlayStation can do. Mm. Um, and it, it just goes thinking about this this game and you go into final fantasy 8 which i will agree the cinematics in that one uh are markedly better and how how the backgrounds and stuff integrate into the game again you can see the 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 continued progression because final fantasy 8 
looks very similar to Parasite Eve, just visually in terms of the character size, and also the pre-rendered backgrounds that they ran through um, it were, were, were similar in design. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, if this was, in fact, like you said, like a big stepping stone um, mm. between 7 and 8 as like a, let's try this more, um, this less cutesy, less anime yeah. art style and try to grind in some more realism. Mm. Sure. I'm actually really like in tune with the art style of this, the human characters. I yeah. love a, I love Aya's aesthetic in this because it's like not human enough but also not anime enough and that, that bridge between. Like I'd love a game in that art style that's in the CG. Uh, obviously, you know, these days people have been more affinity for probably a straight up anime style or a more realistic style but it's got its own unique like vibe and I kind of, yeah, I really gelled with it, especially in my most recent playthrough. Um, yeah, I, actually, I agree. And I think it's testament to Eve's power that she can go into the Natural History Museum and look at the T-Rex and think, you know, I'll wait on that one. I'll wait, <laughs> I'll, I'll wait until like I is actually in the foyer first. Because like, <laughs> all the things she's reanimated in that place, she leaves the T-Rex for a bit just, just to spook you later. <laughs> is is Aya the first character to to wear the generic female protagonist outfit? Is she wearing the generic? Hey, hey, hey! Okay, I mean, she's listen. We're not using this as a derogatory term here. We're just we're just calling it what it is. It's it's a jacket with a with a shirt underneath, pants and boots. Yeah, but this jacket isn't like form fitting tight. It's kind of baggy, like a bomber jacket. It looks neat. Yeah. I like yeah. I like the big bulky baggy jacket. That looks cool. I'm not. I'm not again. Not not calling it out. Like I, I love. We we're talking about how much we love the character design here, mm-hmm. um, but I'm just wondering if she's the originator of of the generic female protagonist outfit. Mm. <laughs> Don't I? To be fair, no, Steve. To your point, I hadn't thought about it. But you're so right. It's like a, it's it's really kind of in the line between realistic. Like the characters are largely realistically proportioned, um, but also they do sort of have an anime flavor to them. They don't have. You know, we're just going to continually compare this game to the two Final Fantasy games around it, but they don't look like as quite as realistic as Final Fantasy VIII's characters' faces in that they're very square and angular and whatever. Um, in this, they're a bit softer, a bit rounder, the eyes are a bit bigger, sort of anime-styled. It's really cool. I'd love to see, and we're going to talk about remake, I'm sure, but I'd love to see that represented again instead of making it completely realism because that is something distinct about it compared to those other games around it. Um, the other thing that I just want to quickly shout out in terms of the visuals, and it's really, really simple. I just like the UI. I think it's really nice. Yes. I mean, it, yeah, the game poorly explains uh, how to use it sometimes, or parts of it, but it's really nice and simple. I love the transparency of it, transparent grey, the font's really nice. just looks good. Like when I think of the, uh, the, the piece of music out of phase that plays in the precinct, I think about that UI, and vice versa when I think about that transparent sort of boxy system that music starts playing in my head so yeah it really ma- like meshes well with everything it's um, very unobtrusive yeah exactly uh, it, does, it suits its purpose it's nice enough to look at but it's not distracting in any way um, let's talk about the music then let's talk about the audio which is uh, yeah, short we'll talk, topic let's put this one last I don't even know what to say about this let's put this one last um, just to give this like I looked at, I read through some of the Wikipedia for this game just to pick up the uh, you know the obvious information about the review scores and stuff, and it has an entire thing about the music, like it's about like six paragraphs about the music design. So that should really go to show 
um, the sort of reception this music had, that people dig into its history and that kind of stuff, and the fact that it got a remix album and all this. It's pretty. And, I mean, and as well, fact, you know, Steve, that you were like, we need to talk about the soundtrack for now. That's what I call survival horror. So clearly, it landed with you. Um, I know you talked about it at length, so I guess I'll go to you first, just to quickly, you know, how do you feel about the music? Yeah, it's pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, I've got no complaints. I, I feel like it has its own vibe and tone. I maybe not the greatest for out-and-out out horror in terms of like scary soundtracks from games we've played, but as a feel and a vibe of that through line between Resident Evil and Final Fantasy that Parasite Eve walks, it's fantastic. Mm. And um, I believe the lady who made the music also did like Street Fighter 2. Or other things, she like she left Capcom for Square, and it's like one of her first jobs. Or I think Chrono Trigger, and then this. I believe and, so, yeah. And it's Super Mario like, RPG. Yeah, it, it's it's got the right kind of things. I mean, it's got safe room style mm. stuff. It's got atmospheric overtones when you get exploring through various places. Perhaps some that are a little bit too soul destroying for me when I was grinding junk in Central Park. Personal <laughs> issues aside, but like the main eye catch theme, the the battle theme, and the boss themes are all fantastic, and they all have like their own light motif, and it's <laughs> yeah, it's very strong and resonant, and it's the fact that a lot of this stuff actually carries over into both its sequel and its weird non-canon thing that we don't speak about. It says a lot, really. <laughs> oh, awesome! That's good to know. Yeah, this is she's done a couple of RPGs before this. Burger, as you said, Super Mario RPG. She also did Live Alive. Um, but this is very different because it's not a fantasy game, really. I mean, it's got fantastical elements, it's got supernatural to it or whatever, pseudoscience, but it's set in the modern day at the time in New York City, so it needs to have, yeah, not a bunch of fantastical pieces of music. It needs to be a bit more grounded, it needs to be a bit more science-y. It's, you're right, absolutely got its own tone. I'm really excited to hear that a lot of the themes carry over into the sequel. That's really cool. Um, because what I love doing our episode of now, like there was music that really stayed with me since that, and I would like routinely put certain tracks on it again. And now there's stuff that the stuff that didn't land with me, I like a lot more now that I've got the full context for it, like in my own experience. I think it's just the soundtrack that just it's somehow very lush and also absolutely nuts at once. I probably described a lot of it this way when we were talking about it before that it feels like. Uh, many point, points it's about to fall apart it's just like it's so crazy at times but it also just has a really good idea of what it is and what it isn't and it fits within the borders of its own sound and thus it defines itself just it's really yeah it defines itself really really well what more could you want out of a soundtrack it does have a couple of few spooky pieces uh surface of the water is terrifying i know we talked about that on the now episode as well it's one of the scariest pieces of music in a video game as far as i'm concerned but some of the chill stuff is just wonderful. I listen to out of phase and lo-fi um, beats to shoot monsters to. Yeah, that's just put that <laughs> one-hour loop, yeah. please, and just you know, just go about my day. I love it. Burger, how do you feel about the soundtrack? I feel like we're going to be across the board pretty positive. I mean, I, I really enjoyed the soundtrack to this game. I, I I remembered liking it quite a bit. Yeah, I'll admit, when you're a kid, you don't really. It's not the first thing you pay attention to. Um, but it's more uh, of a subconscious thing right right um play you know watching you play through it it gosh the music is so good not just the music too the sound effects that are present in terms of you know um i'm going to talk about the the sound lighting effectively (laughs) the lighting was great um 
But no, like the sound effects were good as well. Your guns sounded good. The monsters that sounds they made sounded good. The, mm. uh, um, you know, confirmation noises, stuff like that also also sounded nice. Um, but talking talking about the soundtrack, there's just God, it's its own vibe. It's a whole vibe. I mean, what's it say about? I is you know also taking a look at the Wikipedia page, and what's it say about a soundtrack of yours that it can you know, looking at it uh, over. 10 years later um to get a reprint as in a remix yeah. like yeah um that's that's awesome uh, i would say i i can't think of another video game soundtrack that i can i can recall having a professional treatment like that um especially you say so far removed from the release so far yeah exactly um i like how the soundtrack gets a re-release but not the game though especially <laughs> in european territory square <laughs> um no uh i i have i have nothing negative to say about it i mean i will say where some of the loops were longer um sure. especially but what are you gonna do there you have to fit uh, a lot of music onto a uh single disc a lot of discs no, it's two two discs um, isn't it but yeah um, it was the same thing in Final Fantasy VII. Had the same problem with the Final Fantasy VII soundtrack. Some of the, the soundtracks were bangers, but a lot of the songs were very short by design. Mm-hmm. Um, victim of its own time in that regard. Yeah. Uh, yeah that's, that's all I have. I mean, yeah, it's hard. To, I'd like to say more, but it's hard really to find out You know what to say. I think it's just incredible. It just holds up. Out of everything in this game that holds up, and I think across the board, largely the game does hold up again that's coming from someone of the opinion that likes you know that grew up in that era so it's very easy for me to get back into that mold a little bit um i think the soundtrack just holds up probably the best out of all of it really Mm. um it helps if you have the context absolutely because i liked it before but i love it now and i'm just going to keep going back listen to it i'm sure if anything if I ever go back, and I probably will play replay Parasite Eve at some point, but one of the things I'll be looking forward to most is hearing all the soundtrack back in context. So, yeah, massive, massive, massive fan of that. Uh, which brings us nicely to our sort of roundabout conclusions. Um, but before we give our sort of actual thoughts, you know, said it a couple of times about uh, a remake, the state of a remake of this game, and, and how badly do we feel this game need a remake or maybe you feel like perhaps it's best left alone Burgo how would you feel about a remake of Parasite because it's something that came up a few times while we were playing through it and remarking you know what they would keep the same what they would change what they'd have to do to it if they were going to do it how would you feel about it if it was going to happen oh I I, I think it'd be cool um I would I would like it to be um I think we talked about this a little bit in the context of that I would I wouldn't mind seeing a remake of this game done in the style of the Resident Evil remakes mm-hmm. um I think its execution uh, and and its presentation, I, you know, it's something you think about when when these games came out and and when they did is what are they what are they trying to evoke here, um, and, and how can they evoke that feeling differently with today's technology? Right. Um, and I think that it give if, and I think we see this in, in the sequels as well. Like it, it it moves less away from real time as technology keeps up to a point where you can make real so it moves less away from turn-based as technology keeps up to the mm. point where like making reactive moves is is less sluggish so um 
I think if we kept so if you, you you keep the RPG elements into it in terms of leveling up and getting your powers, getting your abilities, and I think those are all fine. And you just throw more enemies at the screen and have have their behaviors be you know more modern. I think I think it'd be a hell of a game to play, especially if you kept it you kept it around the the same the same length as it is now mm-hmm. maybe you can pad it or, or subtract some stuff in some ways but then like if you look at it that way you're looking at an experience not unlike the resident evil 4 remake now imagine playing resident evil 4 remake with magic powers that'd be dope <laughs> um I, and i think do i think that a remake will happen likely no i think if yeah. we do see one it'll be a completely reimagined experience um full of far more techno babble um, Can we have someone other than Nomura write it, please? <laughs> no, yeah. Nomura will write it, and you'll be happy. No, I don't know if he will. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like yeah, you could put some extra sections in there and probably uh, explain the story a little bit. I think they probably have to be more conscious of that because Steve, or actually Burger, I think it was you that said you know it was written for Japanese gamers who had better context of the overall narrative, whereas this, if they are remaking it it probably would appeal to completely new fans that have never played it before or have no idea. So you would probably have to explain it a little bit better. Um, Yeah, I'd be interested from a gameplay thing. I would be sort of hesitant to move away from what it does so well with the turn-based and the aiming sphere and stuff like that. But I I don't see how you could do that with, you know, the way the games move and stuff like these days. Um, But I agree. I don't think it's going to happen. We are now at the point where with game remakes we're getting so many of them but they're all for the most obvious games aren't they and and by obvious i mean the games that don't need them they're just remaking anything beloved at this point with re4 and dead space and mgs3 just got announced which is i don't know if that game needs a remake and whereas this i think yeah it could stand for a remake you might even kind of set the franchise off down a new path and it might become a big worldwide thing rather than (laughs) america and japan only europe you're not allowed uh, but I don't see it happening. Yeah, absolutely. But un- you don't un- have mitochondria, Sorry. Yeah, apparently not. No, just no, no mitochondria for me. Um, Steve, how would you feel about a remake? Uh, same, really. I would love to see it, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. Um, mm. Yeah, it's gameplay-wise. I can see basically they, they would have to probably burgle from Parasite Eve 2's like more Resident Evil, but you have magical powers aspect than this, where it's more turn-based. I could see that. But put behind, like over the shoulder, will probably work really well. And you know, obviously, RE4 is quite linear. Where you're going from place to place to place. In that regard, you probably would make it where I would go from Carnegie Hall to Central Park to the hospital and so on. So it's more linear. I can see that mm. working as an actual third-person action game of lady sure. shoots key blasts against monsters. The story is definitely interesting enough and odd enough that it would get people talking. Mm. Um, but. You, you you have to understand there's a reason why I refer to the third birthday as non-canon and all these other awful things because it just it, it, it landmined the entire franchise it went down a very different route very different mechanical process and rewrote the characters to the point where I don't want that version of Aya back and I think that's the one that Square would run to rather than the version that's here yeah. uh, that, that's the part that scares me the most I think that this kind of turn-based horror action RPG game has a place that has sadly been lost to time but then again mm-hmm. Just this week, to date the recording just a little bit, they did announce the update for the Alone in the Dark remake, and that started to look more and more good with each passing minute. So old gems from way back may still be able to find new ground. I just I don't know how fair, you... Yeah. 
I just don't know how you do 1997 era New York any justice now, considering we're that far removed. And there's obviously there's certain things about that that probably wouldn't gel well with a modern audience. Mm. No, that's fair. But also, as you say, in terms of like the what would land well, you know, we talked about all these crazy cutscenes that still hit today. Seeing them all you know remade and crazy good visuals like everyone melting in central yeah. park would be would be massive win if people would lose their mind for that so i just yeah. the one thing i wouldn't want is to just see the house final fantasy 14 to present style version of it like that mm-hmm. art style in new york no, no. with characters melting doesn't mesh mesh as well for me yeah um, i think with a lot of the case where you know, some remakes do really well with it when they don't have the original team involved, but, you know, the people that made Parasite E probably don't work at Square. Like, the names are just listed in terms of the producer and director and stuff. I don't think they work at Square anymore. And uh, Nomura is way more of a writer than a designer now, which is unfortunate mm. for everyone involved. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, just, yeah, it's tough to say that it would be the same thing. That's the only problem. So the I, third birthday, right? Just just to get it out there, it's the other M of Parasite Eve games. I'm after this. I'm That's gonna, how bad. Um, read. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard awful things. Um, okay, so let's talk about the original game. Just one last bit. What's our final conclusion? What are our final thoughts on the original Parasite Eve? Where do we land? We've all been pretty over. You know, other than the fact we point out a bunch of stuff that could have been done slightly better, I think overall we've been very very positive about this game. So Berger, how do you feel about Parasite Eve overall? I think it's great. Um, I'm trying, you know, reflecting on the game as I did preparing for the podcast this morning. Um, and, you know, watching you play it again, getting ready for doing this, uh, I'm wondering, as much as I love the thing, and there's no secret that I love the thing, I'm wondering if this was the thing I saw first, then what drew Mm. me to that particular film. I don't remember which came first in that instance. Um, I'm pretty sure I didn't watch the thing until much later in my life. Um, but... I I loved it. I liked the body horror aspects of it. I liked the, the presentation, the style. Um, I like the strong, you know, female protagonist. I've never mm-hmm. once hidden that I like a strong female protagonist who um, isn't a plot device. Uh, you know, we mentioned, we mentioned Jill Valentine a lot, but I see a lot of um, Jesse Faden here. Like, mm-hmm. in terms of a character who comes into a situation doesn't quite understanding what's happening to her but is still there to do a job and still there to make things right ah god there's something about it that i just love um and and i love this i love the game uh it's a jrpg which is a passion of mine um 90s nostalgia great music shit it's it's awesome like Mm -hmm. definitely a game to have in your library if if you're a, a fan of the classics Trying, trying desperately, as I tweeted earlier, looking at the eBay prices for this game and weeping, you know. <laughs> not, that, not that I have a console to play them on because uh, of the lack of European release, but I would like to have it on my shelf, so that should speak to uh, how much I enjoyed this game, certainly. I'm very interested to see what the sequel does, especially after talking about it a little bit here and hearing little bits and pieces, but uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm really glad I finally got around to playing this and made time to play it, especially after now, but especially in general. You know, it's always been one of those things people have talked about that I've had a vague curiosity about. And, you know, with First Aid Spray, especially with the bonus episodes, there have been several games that I've never played before. We've done them and I've come out of them being like, man, I'm really glad I played XYZ. And this is just another example of that where it's like, cool, I've ticked it off and I'm really happy I did. And it's going to be a nice, fuzzy, warm memory to look back on. Uh, Yeah, Parasite Eve is a fantastic game in short. 
very happy with it. Steve, final thoughts on Parasite Eve 1? They're pretty much echoing exactly what I said. As a uh, embittered European who couldn't get the game through any straightforward means, I'm glad that I went through the extra mile and bought a copy because it's, uh, it's a fantastic time. It's a mm-hmm. fun adventure, it's got fun characters, and the music, the graphics, the gameplay perhaps is probably the only odd bugbear, but yeah, it's it's pretty good, isn't it, mate? Like, <laughs> I if, if for some reason you've listened to this bonus podcast and you haven't played the game and we haven't spoiled it completely for you, I fully endorse you go and find it time and, you know, you seek it out. Because, yeah, it's not too long, it's not honestly too difficult if you're just mainlining the main plot and just, like, dump all of your bonus points to damage. It's, yeah, yeah it's, it's just a fun time. It's grotesque, but <laughs> in a fun way. <laughs> well, nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors and our Patreons once again. Support the show for as little as $1 a month to help us create more bonus content like this one over at patreon.com forward slash Pod. You can also join the Discord server to get in touch with members of the team and our community. Discuss Resident Evil with us and other fans and listen to the podcast live as it's recorded. You can find a link to the server as well as our Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, etc. at facebreakpod.com. You can find the podcast on YouTube's Stitcher, Spotify and iTunes and if you enjoyed the show please do leave us a review where you can it helps spread the word thank you to the panel you can follow all of the Pueblo people individually I'm at Soniac underscore one two three Steve is at FB Steve was taken Burger is at It's Burger Time and finally thank you for listening and have a good week He looks so much like Quisitus in that picture. It's sort of like it might as you well think be it might have been. Yeah, yeah I read Quisitus actually. The hair down. Yeah, I read that they apparently when they were designing the character, they were doing going to do long hair, and then they got confused between that and another piece of character art, and they combined them, and they were like, "Oh well, that's the character now." <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Say so they wanted um, to do Lara Croft or their own interpretation of. And, okay. Uh, this looks nothing like it. Looks more like what if Cloud Strife let his hair down and was actually a lady. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that explains it. That's why I like it so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. Well, you know, I'll take a few more games with Ira over another 42 games with Cloud. No offense. I love you, Cloud, but sit down. I like I like Cloud when he was Cloud and not what they turned him into, but that's oh, yeah. for another day. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to anything but the Final Fantasy VII podcast. <laughs> where they massacred my boy, my deranged boy. <laughs> oh. My poor, my poor confused boy. <laughs>